0: This week in KMA Land, more wind turbine talk in Page County. Sack and save lots, sale, stirs Shen Council debate. Shen PD hires new blue. Brush fires rage across KMA Land. Shen School Board sets budget and calendar for next school year. And Clarinda Council plans new business park. I'm Mike Peterson. Page County officials are setting the stage for upcoming episodes of As the Turbine Turns with a major revamping of the County's Wind Turbine Ordinance. Meeting in a regular session Thursday night, the Page County Board of Supervisors began sending a timeline for addressing concerns of the County's Wind Energy Conversion System Ordinance, adopted back in 2019. The board recently identified several target areas ranging from setbacks and height limits for turbines to decommissioning requirements and clarifying definitions. Plans call for diving deeper into possible changes next week. Rather than tackling the laundry list of items all at once, Supervisor Todd Maher has suggested breaking out the ordinance into discussion items across several board meetings. Basically saying, okay, so we're going to have maybe
1: dedicate one evening to setbacks and lighting. Maybe you mix those two together, or you do one on on height restrictions or sound and decibel,
0: um, and just have a different section that we kind of highlight and go through. Additionally, Maher says he wants to see the items of discussion each week laid out on the board's agenda to potentially increase the public's awareness and participation. That way, the
1: public has a has a you know a week of maybe looking at ideas or. And we have a week to look at ideas and be prepared and come in with things that we've found maybe in other counties or other ordinances. And then we can have a discussion at that point on the meeting and say, you know, here's here's the public's idea, the public will have input, we'll have input, we can kinda of discuss and then finalize hey, this is what we're going to put in our ordinance.
0: Ever since the ordinance's passage in 2019, the setbacks for turbines, particularly from non-participating landowners, have been a primary concern, believing the distances should be set from the property line rather than a residence or dwelling. Thus, Mayher and the rest of the board concurred that setbacks should be the first topic addressed due to the possible large amount of discussion and input. You know, the main thing has always been the setbacks
1: mm-hmm. and where we stand mm-hmm. with that and what we decide to, to do and how that impacts the non-participating landowners. So right. I think, you know, that's going to be a big, a big issue that we need to, to solve and, and kind of right the ship. So to speak.
0: Supervisors' chair Jacob Holmes also suggested lumping the height limits for the turbines in the setback discussion. He adds those requirements could go further than just the overall height of the turbine. Something
2: to do with height. That's interesting. Is the the how close the tip of the blade can be to the ground? Also, that's part of not just overall height. Is how far it's allowed. I was reading lots of ordinances. They put a.
0: Uh,
2: a limit on how close that thing gets
0: to the ground, too. It's yep. something
2: interesting to think about.
0: Mayher added other safety-related items, such as the aircraft lighting other turbines, could be compiled at a following meeting. The board plans to begin reviewing turbine setbacks and height limits at its regular meeting next week. In other business, the board approved the fiscal year 2024 Department of Transportation budget and county five-year program and retained dollars and Cooney to review a potential hazardous liquid pipeline ordinance. After almost a quarter century and an evening of lengthy debate, land where a former grocery store once stood in Shenandoah has new owners. By a four-to-one vote Tuesday evening, the Shenandoah City Council approved the sale of city-owned property at 301 West Sheridan Avenue to Michael and Kendra Weston for $4,250. The Westons proposed constructing two or three-bedroom duplexes at the site of the former sack-and-save property. Council members took action following a public hearing in which Councilman Kim Swank raised previous objections to the sale. Casting the lone dissenting vote, Swank says the city originally purchased the property in May of 2000 for $65,000. They want to
2: sell it for $4,250. That's a lost income of $60,750. The average median household income, according to the census, is $65,429, which means that it's going to take whoever a whole year if they were to make that kind of money, they'd have to work a whole year to get it.
0: Saying the city was moving too fast on the proposed project, Swank once again challenged the Westerns to produce blueprints, cost estimates, and other information before the council moved forward. Yeah,
2: we can say, okay, if they don't get it, we'll, we'll let them bring the lot back to us. But why go through all this? Why not just wait until they come up with the blueprints, uh, what it's going to cost and how they plan on affording because there's been a lot of projects And I don't know how many people in this room has ever started a project find out they can't do it. I'm one of them so uh you know, I don't know. I just think we're getting way too early on this.
0: Presenting drawings and floor plans of the proposed units, Kendra Weston addressed Swank's statement that the couple received tax increment financing to complete the Howard Clothing Store building's renovation into Midwest Mental Health's new offices.
3: As most of you, or maybe all of you may know, we did receive a TIF grant for the Howard's building, um, which was $250,000. We put it to good use and also invested 600000 plus of our own money. So um, that original budget for the building that was presented was roughly 600,000. With COVID inflation, we ended up surpassing 800,000. We're happy to do that because we're very invested in our business and um, the success of the clinic
0: both kendra and mayor roger mcqueen stated tiff is not an option for the duplexes citing the western's track record in completing other projects kendra believes they deserve the benefit of the doubt on the proposed housing complex
3: i feel like some credit should be given where it's due because michael and i have shown a lot to this community and this is something that we would love to further invest so i mean yes there's risk of course with any um you know, contract with somebody that you're selling to, but I feel like we have at least earned um, some respect as far as growth in the community.
0: Councilman John Eric Bradner voted in favor of the sale, saying the council must take a tactful approach to the proposal. I think
1: not having any forward movement is stagnant. I believe that's part of the reason I ran for council is because I want to see growth in this community and we can wait and wait and wait and hope for something better or we can do something and... Sometimes
0: you got to take a chance. While also voting in favor, Councilman Richard Jones called for stipulations for the city to reacquire the property should the project fail to materialize. After considerable discussion, the sale carried the stipulation that the couple percent of building permit within 24 months or the property would revert to the city's control for $4,250. Councilwomen Rita Gibson and Tony Graham also voted in favor of the sale. In other business, Shenandoah City Council paved the way for new blue at the Shenandoah Police Department. By unanimous vote Tuesday evening, the council approved the hiring of Darren Hoffer as the city's newest police officer. Shenandoah Police Chief Josh Gray tells KMA News Hoffer comes to Shenandoah from Pottawatomie County where he served as a conservation officer for the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. Grace's Hoffer has been certified since April 2020. The chief says Hoffer's experience is a plus for his department. Uh,
2: having a certified to come into the department just brings in some experience already instead of having to send them to the academy, get all the
0: training, which is a very cost-efficient deal. You know, it can be up to close to $20,000 by the time you're all said and done sending somebody off to get trained, and so we won't have to go through that process. and.
2: Really, the only part we'd have to go through now is getting him in here and get him to learn the street.
0: With the new officer selection, Shen PD is back to its full allotment of 10 officers. Hoffer's salary for a certified Step 1 officer is set at $23.02 per hour. Red flag warnings were in order across KMA land this week as warm, dry weather made conditions ripe for fires, including one destroying a garage. Shenandoah's fire department responded to a call at 312 West Street, Shortly after 3.20 last Saturday afternoon, Shenandoah Fire Chief Justin Marshall told KMA News dry conditions and high winds contributed to the fire. uh,
2: Residents were doing some outdoor cooking and due to the dry vegetation, some dry vegetation ignited. It started to creep up the side of the garage once it got to the corner the strong winds from the southwest spread the fire rapidly. Thank goodness we were there in a short time. We were able to get that extinguished and knocked down fairly quickly before uh, any extension in anything uh, around there had happened. Marshall
0: says firefighters quick action prevented flames from spreading to neighboring structures. Yes, yeah, there
2: was pretty pretty tight proximity of other other buildings and we would have been in danger for heavy extension. Had it had we have not had a A a rapid response on that. So the guys did a fantastic job of, of getting after it and knocking it down. Damage
0: was limited to the garage's exterior walls and portions of the roof and rafters. Firefighters were at the scene for just under an hour. Three days later, fire and law enforcement officials had their hands full with an accident and ensuing brush fire near Shenandoah. Shortly after 7.50 Tuesday evening, Shenandoah Fire and EMS were sent to a car versus farm equipment accident at 1448 190th Street, located about five miles east of Shenandoah. According to the Shenandoah Fire Department's Facebook page, the car was engulfed in flames upon firefighters' arrival. Fire from the accident spread to north and south ditches. Essex firefighters were paged to assist Shenandoah's department after the fire advanced toward a cornfield. Fire officials say three people were taken to Shenandoah Medical Center with injuries. One person was transported via LifeNet 11 helicopter to an Omaha hospital for further treatment. Fire also consumed a big chunk of southeast Nebraska this week as firefighters from several departments battled a massive field fire in Cass County. Jody Fall is public information officer with Nebraska Emergency Management. Fall tells KMA News more than 75 firefighters from 26 departments responded to the blaze just south of Lake Wakanda near Union in Cass County. Fall says the fire started around 6 p.m. Saturday when sparks jumped the Missouri River from a nearby brush fire in Iowa. Due to high winds, the flames spread rapidly through hundreds of acres along East Union Road. So uh,
3: it's burned about 650 acres, and they declared an emergency because they exceeded their uh, resources, so they needed some assistance from the state uh, to fight the fire. And then so at that point, the governor then declared a state emergency. And that frees up the governor's emergency fund so that we can pay for uh,
0: assistance. Paul says requests for all available units were made immediately and Cass County Emergency Management and Incident Command requested the Nebraska Incident Management Assistance Team's help with the response. Additionally, falls to several state agencies, including the Nebraska State Patrol and National Guard, assisted local responders. Potawatomi County was the scene of another brush fire later in the week north of Interstate 680. County Emergency Management Director Doug Reed tells KMA News crews were dispatched late Tuesday near the Pigeon Creek Wildlife Management Area along the Missouri River after flames from a vehicle fire spread to nearby grass. Well, the fire spread quickly through the brush. Reed says there was no immediate threat to persons or property in and adjacent to the area of the blaze.
2: Wednesday afternoon, uh, we had one plan in place to, uh, to try and break up the fuel load
1: a little bit and try and, and keep it at bay. But as the winds picked up through the afternoon, conditions were just too tough to really keep up with the head of the fire so it got, kind of got past our, our point where we could uh, you know implement plan A so the next best option was to and secure it best we could make sure that we had uh,
2: good containment lines on the fire.
0: Reed says the fire's unpopulated area was hit by the 2011 and 2019 Missouri River floods. After rollbacks and setbacks, budget work is coming to the finish line with KMA Land School Districts. By a 3 to nothing vote Monday afternoon, the Shenandoah School Board approved the district's fiscal 2024 budget beginning July 1st. School business official Bill Barrett says the fiscal 24 tax levy totals about $12.76 per $1,000 valuation, an increase of about 47 cents per thousand from the current fiscal year. That's despite an enrollment increase of 13 students, meaning an additional $445,000 in state funding for the district's general fund. Barrett cites the state's property tax rollback recalculation for fiscal 2021 as a big culprit for the tax increase. The
2: valuations from FY 2021 were miscalculated across the state so they had to recalculate that so basically the rates were overstated so that also had a factor in increasing our rate and we're estimating about 40 cents per thousand so that's if we add that, it's about where we're at this year.
0: Board members also approved the district's calendar for the 2023-24 school year with a starting date of August 23rd and end date of May 23rd of next year. However, Shenandoah School Superintendent Dr. Carrie Nelson says the schedule also reverts to previous dismissal times of 3.15 p.m. for elementary students and 3.25 for middle school and high school. And that's for next school year. Nelson attributes transportation issues as the reason for the switch.
1: That's
3: in order to be more flexible with our transportation at the end of the day and do some staggered routes. Um, We did this for many, many years in the district. In the last four years, with the shortages that we're facing with bus drivers, we believe that having that staggered end will make it a little more feasible
0: board members took care of other pending matters later in the week following a special exempt session thursday morning the board approved a four percent base wage increase for administrators supervisors and directors that same base wage increase was approved for salaried non-negotiated staff positions Additionally, the board approved 5.5% base wage hikes for the district's director of maintenance and operations and information technology director. And the board approved $1 per hour increases for some non-negotiated staff positions and paying tuition costs for the district's business office specialist to obtain credits toward their school business official license. Nelson says the increases were based on several factors. The
3: decision was largely made. It's pretty consistent with what we had provided for our teaching staff and for our support staff, and then when you look at settlements across the state, when you look at information that's related to what different positions are paid, the recommendation was that we needed to look at the director of maintenance and the IT director position a little differently.
0: Last month, the board approved a collective bargaining agreement with the Shenandoah Education Association for a $4 total package increase and with the Shenandoah Support Staff Association Plus for more than 6%. Clarinda School officials have a wish list of repairs this summer. By unanimous vote late Wednesday afternoon, the Clarinda School Board approved the district's proposed capital projects not to exceed $340,000. Clarinda School Superintendent Jeff Privia says the list includes repairs at each of the district's facilities. The
2: Facilities Committee has met to review the proposed capital projects. If approved, Mr. Ridner will proceed with seeking official bids and will bring recommendations to the board for
0: approval. District Maintenance Director Justin Ridnauer pinpointed projects that must be done sooner rather than later, including construction of a football field maintenance shed estimated at $20,000. The
2: plan is to have one shed, it'll be down kind of by the chute area on the home side, and that's going to house all the equipment that's needed down there at the field, the hurdles, the football field, stuff that goes out there, and all of that stuff could be put in there. It'll also house the electronics for the scoreboard. So the plan is to get power down to it and then all of that stuff will be housed right down in
0: there so we don't have to have it by the stands or anything like that. Trenching for electrical and fiber connections to the new shed is listed at $30,000. Another major project is installation of new door locks of both the elementary and junior-senior high school buildings. Ridnauer recently completed a walkthrough of each building with Maryville glass and lock, to determine each facility's needs in terms of new security. Those will
2: be either an asylum lock where you have to key both sides of it. So like in a pass, like this door here passing through, you'd have to key each side of it. You couldn't just go through it without the key. And then the other is the storeroom function lock. So in that case, the door is always locked. If you shut the door, it locks behind you. You don't have to mess with a key or a knob or anything and you'd have to key it to get
0: in. Grand money totaling $50,000 will cover most of the project's cost, estimated at no more than $70,000. Another big ticket item is new sidewalks and fencing at the high school track, totaling an estimated $130,000. Plans for a new business park are in the works in Clarenda, Meeting in a regular session Wednesday night, the Clarinda City Council held a public hearing and unanimously approved a resolution on the city entering into a general fund loan agreement not to exceed $145,000. The move is part of how the city plans to purchase farmland on the south end of town along U.S. Highway 71 from Mia and wendell Woldruff. City Manager Gary McLaurin tells KMA News the loan agreement would cover just half of the nearly $320,000 total cost. They wanted a $175,000 lump sum payment up front, and then the remaining $145,000 they wanted us to make payments on over the next five years at 6% interest. The $175,000 lump sum, we can go ahead and, and make that payment. But because uh, the 145000 will be paid over the next five years, we have to consider that debt uh, for the city. McClarnon says the city treating the $145,000 as debt prompted the formal hearing and resolution process. The new business park will be accessible from South 14th Street near Smith Vending and extend west and south near Highway 71. However, McClarnon adds they do plan to handle the business park differently from past areas, including the Allen-Davison Business Park, as they won't survey and subdivide the land ahead of time. Because what we found out was everybody's needs are different as far as how much land they need and what infrastructure needs they have. So this time we're just going to see what the needs are. And then we'll go ahead and do the surveys and make sure that we have the infrastructure in place. Garnin says the talks of establishing a new business park have been in the works for some time after the other business park recently filled up. Thus, he says the land purchase was vital to continue to allow for economic growth in the community. Mills County officials are bringing in a planning consultant on commercial and industrial project proposals. By a two-to-one vote Tuesday morning, the Mills County Board of Supervisors approved a request for the county to hire a planning consultant through Confluence Consulting. A second bid was also submitted from JEO Consulting. The action followed discussion with building and zoning technician Holly Jackson and Mills County Economic Development Director Andrew Rainbolt. Rainbolt says the discussion partly arose from ensuring an orderly process for any commercial and industrial project proposed within the Interstate 29 Highway 34 corridor.
2: Part of it was with the highway corridor overlay and kind of the requirements that were involved in that and with the hope that we're going to be getting some more development down there. Sure. make sure that it's kind of orderly and, and makes sense both for the county and then also for applicants so we think there's prospect for more commercial and industrial development to come in and that would be helpful from, from everybody's end to make sure that There's somebody that can review it, give us advice.
0: Jackson says the consultants would only be hired by the county on an as needed basis and paid monthly when they do provide their service. This would
3: be for like on call only. So as the project comes in, such as Cattleman's or Echo, this would be just for that particular project, so it would be based on her project.
0: While acknowledging the need for a planning consultant, County Attorney Deshawn Birdsell questioned why the consultant fees couldn't be added to the permit fees already being paid by the company, or individuals proposing the commercial and industrial project, and what the specific parameters would be to trigger the need for a consultant. I think it makes more
3: sense to have them say, okay, I want to put a commercial property right here. here is what I propose. Okay, well, that's fine. Well, the county has a planning department. You're going to have to pay the fees to have them review your plans, bring it back to the board and say, yeah. But you have to have some kind of parameters to say this triggers the responsibility of getting
0: this. Nonetheless, Supervisor Richard Crouch echoed Rainbolt and Jackson's sentiment that the position is needed, acknowledging some struggles with the recent industrial proposal. we got to
2: have somebody that... Understands and knows the rules and regulations beyond what we have the capability of doing right now, and I think that was part of the problem with the last go-around on our cement company and stuff. Things things were not handled properly by either de- the department or the people putting it in force. Well, so I think a planning company that say, "No, this is the way it's got to be done," and. And we won't have these problems that
0: we had. Jackson and Rainbolt say they likely wouldn't have an issue, including the fees with the other permit fees, and plan to bring a proposal back to the board soon regarding specific parameters. Supervisor Lonnie Mayberry cast the lone dissenting vote. Page County conservation officials have established new regulations governing drones in county parks. At its regular meeting Tuesday, the Page County Conservation Board unanimously adopted a drone use policy limiting where they can be flown within county parks. County Conservation Director John Schwab tells KMA News the policy has been in the works for the past few months. He says they drafted the policy from similar regulations around the state and primarily addressed Nottaway Valley Park and Pierce Creek.
2: In a nutshell, it pretty much says that uh, drones and UAVs, you know, radio-controlled planes, drones, everything that falls under that category are, they will be completely prohibited at Nottaway Valley Park and then all of Pierce Creek. So Nottaway and Pierce, people will not be able to use them in.
0: The policy also includes 100-foot setbacks from any county campgrounds. Schwab says the policy discussions arose from drones and other UAVs gaining popularity and ensuring park users and drone operators have rules to abide by. Additionally, Schwab says they chose to restrict the use of such items in Nottaway Valley Park and Pierce Creek due to the main activities provided in those areas. The
2: main activities out there are hiking, um, so we didn't want, you know, the drones to kind of interfere with, with anyone that's hiking. Also, both of those parks are very wooded. Uh, we've got a lot of timber, a lot of our trails, you know, cut back through the woods. So. When we looked at everything, because we kind of wanted to balance out between all our parks. Okay, if someone doesn't want to be around drones, where could they go? And then vice versa. If someone really wanted to fly, what would be a good place?
0: Schwab adds the board wanted to be proactive before any issues arose. That wraps up this week in KMA Lab. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Lab. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. From the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.